And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Today, we're going to be talking about security, cybersecurity, everybody's uh, favorite and least favorite topic, I think, but it's something that's really important. Nobody cares about security until they're until they get hacked, and all of a sudden it's a big deal. So security security is a big topic uh, always, and we're going to talk about some best practices with that today. So today we have Anurag Gertu from Strike Ready. He's the, one of their founders and chief product officer. So we're going to talk all about cybersecurity, talk learn what they do. Um, before we get started, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Puzzle is powered by FullScale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, but FullScale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has a platform to help you manage that team. Please visit FullScale.io to learn more. Anurag, welcome to the show, man. Hi, Matt. Nice to meet you. How about you? You know, um, I'm having a great day. You know, I took a I took a fall on a bicycle last week. Wow. And I have some stitches. I know nobody listening can see my stitches, but yeah, I got some stitches on my forehead here. Well, and you, uh, yeah. you know, I uh, I should have been wearing a helmet. And the reason I bring this up is it's kind of like cybersecurity, <laughs> right? Like, you know, I think you guys sell helmets, right? We all need helmets. And so, tell me, what does Strike Ready do? What What is Strike Ready? Yeah, as as you can see, the name is is pretty interesting. It's like, are you ready for a for the next strike? Right, so it's it's all about uh, how can we protect organizations so that they are uh, in a much more proactive position to deal with modern day threats, evolving threats. Um, it's the the main pain point that we that we see within cybersecurity is not just about threats, right? It's dealing with threats, and if you if you think about dealing with threats, it boils down to products that you have. Um, are you sufficiently? Uh, let's say you have the right ammo to combat. A warfare, and second, do you have people to use the ammo, right? And what we what we clearly uh, saw in the industry is there was no there's no shortage of products. I mean, I'm not sure if you've been to any of the cybersecurity conferences, but but they are pretty fun. I mean, RSA has over two thousand vendors out there um, from North Hall to South Hall. You can you keep walking for a mile, and you'll have a booth after booth. So, well, hold on. This sounds this sounds about as exciting as buying a bicycle helmet. It doesn't sound exciting. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but it's but it's something everybody needs. Like every everybody needs it, though, right? And and the, so my question for you though is when when you think about cybersecurity, that could be a lot of things. It, it yes. could be like email phishing, downloading viruses. Like right. uh, we had we had one of the founders of Island, which does a um, secure web browser, mm -hmm. which has become super big. Uh, was on right. the show. Um, there's a lot of different cybersecurity related stuff. So for for Strike Ready, what what part of all of that do you, are you guys focused on? Is it more like server security? Is it responsive, being responsive to when there are problems? Like what what part of that of that whole ecosystem do you guys play in? Yeah, so we we pair we play on at the core level. We play at the level where our belief is that you can have a far more better security posture as an organization if you have skilled people in your organization. 
right? So there's a massive shortage of cybersecurity practitioners in the world. And they are there are a lot of organizations who have them, the best of the best talent, but not every organization can have the best talent because the number of people are less, right? It's like the cream of the crop is always less. So everyone is fighting to get that. And the second, a lot of organizations, even if they want to hire them, they don't have the budget because they are extremely, extremely expensive to hire, right? And retain. So what we at Strike Ready focus on is can we build a technology that can augment any practitioner in the world using democratized human intelligence? That means can we learn from the best of the best practitioners and make that knowledge accessible and available to any practitioner in the world so that they can do their job much more faster, much more accurately at scale, at speed, and so on. So... Does that mean it's something that recommends to me how to configure my AWS or Azure account and 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 all that kind of stuff, like best practices or what what does that mean exactly? Right. So it, it it's it's a layered approach. It can offer you knowledge to um, enhance your ability to understand and comprehend the situation. It can offer you recommendations, um, which you can apply by yourself. It can go up to a level where it can exactly tell you what you need to do and do it on your behalf. So think of it like it's like, Matt, you sitting in a Tesla and let's say you're extremely tired and it's a four hour long drive and mostly it's on the freeway and you just want the car to drive itself, right? Or or let's say you are in in a in a mode where you want to raise the maybe raise the biker who who made you fall. And you want to like just uh, go into into the ludicrous mode, right? And want to drive mm-hmm. the car. So it's just like think of it. It's like a Tesla that can drive itself, help you uh, protect against cyber threats proactively, or you can avail okay. its intelligence. Right? So is your guys are you is your product more focused on the server side of things though, and, and like data centers and hosting, or does it also include like people's desktops and configuring desktop security or all of it or yeah we we focus on all aspects of security we focus on servers okay. we focus on workstations we focus on laptops but it's it's sort of a very different uh, way where we would uh, converse with technologies that are installed on those devices right so you would have let's say endpoint agents deployed on your workstations and your servers you would have firewalls which will be protecting your servers and your workstations you would have proxies and many other devices, right? So we would be conversing with all these devices. We understand the depth, the the capabilities, the features of these devices, and then using our intelligence, we are telling these devices what they what they need to do at at any point in situation. So what for your guys' company? Who is your target customer? Is it somebody that has more than? 100 employees or somebody who's in specific industries or how, how do you what is your guys's focus yeah it's it's mostly mid to large organizations so i would say organizations which are about 3000 people or higher would be a sweet spot for us uh, okay. organizations which are very fairly small um, i think they just start dealing with uh, getting to a certain level of security maturity where they can really understand what type of threats uh, can come and uh, affect them so it's sort of most of mid to large size organizations that would be an ideal customer for ours. 
Well, so the if I'm a small company out there and I've got 5, 10, 20, 50 employees, what um what kind of security concerns though should they be worried about? Like maybe they're not ready for your guys' product yet, but what what kind of security, you know, issues are the biggest threat to them? I would say typically malwares and phishing attacks would be of more concern to organizations of those size. I mean, I would highly doubt that APT, nation threat, nation state threat actors uh, would come and target them and compromise them. Uh, but it depends. I mean, uh, if, they, if they're storing PII information, they're storing PHI information, like depending on, I mean, they're focusing on healthcare, but they have health records. Assuming they are so small in size, maybe they're a startup, then yeah, they should be concerned about but I would I would say mostly that they would be concerned about is their employees getting compromised uh, by phishing attacks and then stealing their employee information, their credit card information, et cetera, to uh, cause more damage. So I, I work at a company uh, that has like 75 employees that does digital mm-hmm. marketing related stuff. And yeah, about... Every couple of weeks, I get a text message or an email from our CEO asking me to go buy Apple gift cards or like weird stuff. And it's like very clear, like, right. uh, I don't think I don't think I don't think Katie, our CEO, actually sent this to me. Like there, there is so much of that kind of stuff out there, right? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that stuff. And actually, we, got, we get bombarded by these messages as well. I mean, we will get an email from uh, a fake looking of our CEO's email account saying, you know what? I'm really busy. I cannot talk right now. Don't call me, but I need to send, I want you to send me $500 immediately. So <laughs> like, oh, why didn't you just text me? Like, why, why are you like emailing yeah. me with that message? So yeah, it's very common. I mean, the, the easiest uh, way is to compromise uh, individuals. And, and the reason is they're trying to compromise is your employees or individuals, right? Not only for uh, maybe stealing the credit card information or stuff like that. But once they are compromised and once they can somehow uh, get a malware to install on their machine, right, their laptop or something like that, then they have access to your system and then they will try to move laterally and see, well, can we can we use Matt's laptop and get into his colleague or his CEO um, and so on. And once once they are there, then again, they'll, they'll try to move much laterally or try to get some other information. So... I think most of the organizations do uh, get uh, targeted by phishing. I mean, phishing is one of the biggest vectors yeah. uh, for compromise. Uh, and it, and it's, Our, it's across the board. It's not just mid-size, small-size. It's large organizations as well. It seemed like a couple of years ago, we were hearing a lot about ransomware kind of attacks where people were getting some kind of virus that would you yeah. know, take over their data centers or their systems or whatever. And then people were asking for like millions of dollars of Bitcoin or something mm-hmm. to uh, to to unlock it all is that kind of stuff still happen too uh, it's ex- extensively uh in large capacity it happens and it, it's definitely targeting fairly large organizations and we we see it we see it very often uh, and a, a lot of our customers use our technology uh to combat against uh, those type of attacks because in those situations you have to be extremely fast to react before uh, big uh, drawdown happens in your organization, right? Uh, one one system getting encrypted, you may be able to deal with it, but um, if a critical asset gets encrypted, I mean, you'll be in a tough spot and you don't have an option. I know it's, 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 uh, it's not a ask to pay the ransom, but the organization which is in a distress 
they actually are not left with an option. And I see that they do pay ransom uh, to to unlock the system. So that you think they pay a lot, like the companies end up paying the... the... Yeah, I mean, we, we know we know organizations that have paid north of 40 million in Bitcoin. Wow. Um, <laughs> so there are, there are a lot of companies, obviously, you can't reveal the, the name of the organizations, but it's they have fairly publicly known information because you have to you have to inform uh if you have been compromised and you're you're paying out the ransom so but yeah it's it's well, very very dominant uh form of an attack well so my last startup uh was called stackify and uh mm-hmm. we we were see this is like 2019 or 20 2019 2020 time frame uh when the solar winds attack happened Do you remember the mm-hmm. solar winds attack yes so SolarWinds is like an IT monitoring vendor uh-huh. and somebody managed to put something in their code, which is and then installed like in thousands of servers all over the world that then allowed back doors. So it was like a, a vendor attack, right? Like you think you're using the safe vendors product and all of a sudden it has a back door in it. Yeah. And that caused all sorts of problems all over the place. Right. Right. Do you remember that attack that happened? I remember SolarWinds. Yeah, I mean, the uh, sequel to Sol- SolarWinds was uh, Log4j, if you remember. Yes. <laughs> Everyone was, log4j attack. was leveraging Log4j li- libraries and yeah, they were compromised and you just didn't even know that you were using that uh, logging mechanism. So yeah, they are, they are very common. I think that's the easiest way for these threat actors uh, to basically spray an attack uh, at a very high success rate, right? Think of it, think of it like instead of just sending a, sending Matt a phishing email, what if I can compromise uh, iOS, let's say iOS operating system, just hypothetically, right? Because every, most of the world is on iOS or Android. I mean, you have you have access to a billion people. If you yeah. just compromise iOS and if everyone is using uh, that version of the, the software, right? Or, or you compromise your Gmail, right? You compromise Gmail a lot of, I mean, I will say, I don't know the exact stat, but a lot of people billions and billions of people will be on gmail so it's very easy it's very easy and it's a very good tactic for these threat actors to compromise technologies and then use those compromised technologies which have a very broad adoption well and so one of the ways that we protect ourselves these days is from two-factor authentication or Mm multi-factor authentication right is is a great way for everybody to secure everything they do everything they should use multi-factor but then you hear about people stealing your SIM cards. Mm-hmm. So like you steal somebody's SIM card and then put it in another phone and then you can receive their text messages to get their like login codes, right? Like like there's all sorts of like crazy stuff that goes on out there that people would never think about. But if somebody wants to hack into something bad enough, right? Like they they will go to great crazy links. Yeah, they'll go to crazy lens. And and that's why I think there's a there's a whole paradigm shift in the two-factor authentication as well, which has moved towards biometrics. So yeah, you can take Matt's SIM card, but you can't take his his eyes, his face, <laughs> his voice. His, well, uh, you, you can if he, you can if you he wrecks his bike. To. Yes. <laughs> because this happened to me last week. I wrecked my bike and mm-hmm. uh, a neighbor across the street like saw me or saw it happen. I don't know. Like I, I got a concussion. I got knocked out. And... Or at least I was not 100%. Like maybe I was still awake, mm-hmm. but I, I don't remember exactly what was going on. Uh-huh. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, she used my thumb and she unlocked my phone and called my wife. So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. even the biometrics, like they just hit you over the head. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, but yeah, this. I mean, if let's let's put it this way: if an attacker has decided that they want to compromise an organization, and they are at, at a very high level of competency uh, and aggression, it's very difficult to deal with them. Uh, can, yeah. you, can you save yourself? I mean, I would say yes, it's possible, but it's it's going to be a war between your team who's going to be protecting you versus an, an highly competent and an aggressive attacker who wants to compromise you. Well, and that's the key to what you guys do, right, is playing defense and playing defense at all these different levels, right? Like, the people, it's training, it's multi-factor authentication, it's endpoint security, it's server security, it's like cloud security. There's all these different things, right? And they're all just different layers of defense. Yeah, that yeah, exactly. They are. They are it's a diff, it's a layered defense architecture. I mean, even in enterprises that we see, I mean, it's a layered defense technology stacks that they would use uh, from firewalls to APD products to proxies to. VAFs to EDRs, they may have an EPP, right? Uh, to an IPS technology stack, uh, sandboxing, and so on. So it's always a layered security stack. And now with cloud coming in in the play, obviously the the stack has grown grown much more. Well, they'll have cloud security posture management, uh, data security posture management, and and CASB. And I mean, there's like I mentioned, right? Uh, there are thousands and thousands of cybersecurity companies. Yeah. And, a lot of them are focused on different aspects of cybersecurity. So, uh, and that's what we see. A lot of organizations will have, on an average, forty to fifty tools to protect themselves. Wow! And, and this is where the exact pain comes in. I mean, the practitioners that they have, the security analyst, I mean, they are just overwhelmed with the number of tools. Um, having competency in in operating forty tools, it's extremely hard. I mean, think yeah, about oh, yeah. it's like. Going to your undergrad and having 40 courses and getting A plus in all four of them. I mean, how many undergrads are there, right? So right. it's the same concept, right? You need you need some sort of technology that can empower these practitioners, augment them so that they can be a lot more productive and efficient. Well, I do want to take a second to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the full-scale platform to define your technical needs and see what developers are available to join your team today. Please visit fullscale.io to learn more. Well, I'm I'm curious to learn a little more about your backstory. Um, so for those who are, are listening today and they hear chief product officer, I always feel like we should take a minute and tell everybody, what is a chief product officer and how did you become a chief product officer? So you, you mentioned before we started recording, you used to work in engineering, but you know, I, I would, I would love if you could tell us for a couple minutes, like how you, how you went from engineer to chief product officer and what do you do as a chief product officer? Yeah, it, it was a fairly long journey at a 22 year long journey in cyber. Um, like I said, I, my career started on the engineering side. Uh, I was focused on developing a 3d modeling software. Uh, for UCLA uh, to detect Alzheimer's early on so that we can treat them. Um, And then from there on, I moved into a role-based access control uh, startup, uh, which was highly focused on on cybersecurity, but more on the provisioning and the governance side. And over there, my role sort of switched from being an engineer. Obviously, I was 
developing stuff, but I was very customer facing. So requirements were getting fed in real time from the customer. So it was sort of a pseudo engineering and professional services play. And then from there on, I moved to another cybersecurity startup, which was very much focused in the vulnerability management space. And then I started going heavy in professional services, but with a very strong inclination to build a product. Like our team was to capture requirements from the accounts that we were serving and then build a product based on those requirements. So we were building completely something different than what our engineering team used to do. And the product uh, uh, eventually started driving 20% of the company's revenue and which is where we transitioned that product officially over to engineering. So it was sort of a journey where I was not back-end focused. I was very customer-facing focused. And then I transitioned to a very large company like Cisco, where I moved into more of technical marketing, uh, which is, well, you have these products, but how do you take to market? What can you come up with? Can you come up with some sort of cool ideas to showcase technology uh, and make it differentiated against other vendors and uh, technology stacks? And then from there on, uh, with the vision that we used to uh, portray of showcasing Cisco products, I transitioned to product management, drove a lot of innovative products. And then over the course of time, more got inclined towards the marketing side. How do you, once you have this amazing product, how do you take it to market? Uh, Who's your customer profile? How do you sell? How do you price? And so on. And this sort of journey grew, but the foundation was always always engineering for me, but as as you can see, uh, over the course of time, things broadened. Yeah. And you got more, you got more understanding on from a business perspective, and and uh, yeah, eventually it led me to uh, the CPO. And CPO's, uh, I think, role is not about. Uh, I mean, yeah, can CPOs drive features? Obviously, they can drive features. Can they help you prioritize features? They can prioritize features, but. CPO's role is more about vision. It's understanding what sort of products should there be in the market in the next five to 10 years. And they are trying to place their bets on those technology stacks or the products that would solve a problem in future. I mean, that problem might not be that evident holistically to everyone, but it will be very evident to a CPO, right? I mean, people will not be making noise about that problem. The problem will be there, but People are not making noise, so nobody, very few people know about it. And that's what the CPO does. It sort of places a bet and says, you know what, here is where the market is going to go in five years, and I'm going to place my bets now because it will take me a couple of years to build it. And when the problem be- becomes very evident, I will be um, in a very uh, good position because I will already have a product that could solve that problem. So it's more about vision uh, yeah. and understanding where the market is moving. So how many founders were there at, at Strike Ready when you guys started? Uh, we have two, two founders, yeah. You and, you and one more. So um, did you guys work together before or how did you know your co-founder? Yeah, we, we worked. We had worked together uh, in a previous uh, company that went public. So we knew each other for over 10 years. And in our com- company, a lot of uh, the founding team came from the same company that we used to work for in the past. Um, so yeah, it's, it's always good to have, uh, people that, you know, in the past, uh, it's much more easier to start a company that way, uh, and then build and grow. And, uh, even hiring talent becomes easier because when you see a lot of folks coming from the same company, it tends to attract a lot of, uh, other ex, ex, uh, 
company individuals right to come in and work uh, alongside with you well especially if it's people you enjoyed working with before right like a lot of us have some of our best friends which almost become our family as like our work family right mm-hmm. so i mean that's the thing for me over the last 20 years made some of my best friends i've ever had were from people i worked with so when you find good people that you enjoy working with you know you always want to try and work with them as much as you can so i i can understand that so what so when you guys started the company in 2019 how did and you talk about you know there's hundreds or thousands of people that are in cybersecurity how how did you think about differentiating what you guys do today like with what you started in 2019 is that what you do today or did the, the original idea was different no the original idea was the same i mean we always were focused on empowering cybersecurity practitioners and uh, our vision and execution still aligns to the same problem statement that we uh, have uh, in the industry. Uh, so the, we never pivoted out of that problem statement. Obviously, we um, enhanced our technology. Uh, we were building and we are building a conversational assistant. So think of it's like a, it's like a digital cybersecurity analyst that is okay. That is working alongside with you. It's it's think of it. It's like your it's like your body, right? I mean. You have a problem, you ask your body, the body's going to tell you. Uh, you you want to delegate some tasks to your body, the body's going to tell you. And we call that body CARA. She stands for Cyber Awareness and Response Analyst. Um, or, that, or that body of yours will tell you, and here's a problem that they are observing, right? And uh, they're telling you this is the way that it can solve that problem. And you can say, okay, go ahead and solve me. Go ahead, go ahead and solve it because right now I might be busy with something else. So um, it's the same. What we did was we 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 got mentioned uh, and written about by multiple analyst firms, including Gartner, as one of the most advanced uh, implementation of uh, conversational AI, and uh, that was published in twenty twenty one. They did a rev in twenty twenty two. We were again mentioned, so we were the only cybersecurity company that was making that play, but. Over the course of time, with this year, Microsoft announcing Copilot, there was a lot of uh, excitement about Copilot, mm-hmm. right? How Copilot can come and assist with cybersecurity. And with ChatGPT also, I mean, Microsoft investing $10 billion in Chad, uh, uh, OpenAI, uh, a lot of uh, hype with ChatGPT uh, also drove the market towards technology like ours. Yeah, and, but it brought and- a lot of awareness and excitement to something you were already doing. Exactly. And with that, uh, we basically accelerated uh, our technology stack and incorporated uh, generative AI elements to it. Obviously, we had a very strong head start uh, with the graph technology that we used to use, but we basically amplified our product using um, LLMs and Gen AI. So I would say in the market, we are way ahead of um, other players. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think... uh, Again, the problem is still the same. It's practitioners. Can you augment them? And with a product like ours, it, it just becomes uh, ex- like ex- extremely great for these practitioners. So you, uh, is your whole team in in Palo Alto, like San Francisco kind of area? Or wh- where are you guys all located? Oh, no, we are all, we are all distributed. We have, we have folks here. We have folks in Dallas. We have folks in D.C. We have folks in uh, pretty much a lot of different parts of the world. <laughs> okay. We are all we are a very distributed organization. 
So you basically are you guys like basically 100 remote, or do you have like a small corporate office somewhere? Oh no, we are we are we don't uh, we don't have a corporate office. We when we started, uh, it was right before COVID time frame. So yeah. we were we and we were, I mean, we were a startup, so we were a very small company at that point in time, like few few people, right? So we never went for an office. We just used to meet any place in Palo Alto in a coffee shop and stuff like that. So we always started that like that, and then COVID hit. So yeah, <laughs> as you know, there was no need for an office, and then things were working, and we were sort of used to it. And we never decided to get a corporate office, but it doesn't mean that we will not. I mean, I think eventually, yes, we would, but we are a remote first company. Well, um, tell me about your experience with with TechCrunch. I, I saw down here you were went through TechCrunch Disrupt and. For those who who don't know, that's you know a competition that they do every year, and um, you guys were selected and and one of the the top companies. So for those who who have heard of that before, I'm curious if you have any kind of you know behind the scenes story of like what it was like to go through that. Was it worth the effort to do it? Like what what was your insight from that? Yeah, it was a it was a very uh, exciting experience for for us. Uh, I mean we participated in, I believe, last year in TechCrunch, and we got um, selected as one of the, the top companies uh, over there. And uh, I think the TechCrunch in general is a, is a highly reputed uh, event, and getting selected as part of the, the event is, is, is a great uh, achievement by itself. Uh, and obviously winning it <laughs> is a different achievement on its own league, but... Um, it's a great event. You you get to not only meet with uh, fellow entrepreneurs, uh, innovators, but uh, you get to meet with a lot of uh, industry uh, investors and stuff like that. So well, it was a really good event. Um, and I think uh, any startup who wants to, who's, who's working on a very disruptive product, very exciting product should definitely try and apply. And if they if they do get selected, I mean, that's uh, that's an achievement by itself showing that, yeah, there is, there is something interesting that they've been working on and has been recognized by the industry. Did it help you get any customers or investors? It, it, it does help uh, with building relationships with investors. I think it's, it's less of a customer centric event, uh, maybe for us, because we are focused on large enterprise, mid, mid and large enterprises. So we're not expecting them to come over, but I think uh, for organizations that might be focused on more uh, consumer centric products, I believe, yes, it might be a, great event for them um but yeah you definitely you definitely get the value uh, even if you're focused on enterprise because you build a lot of relationships with uh, investment community well and it sounds good right like it's a you know third-party proof of what you guys are doing you know with anybody you talk to you're like oh we you know we were selected for this thing we did this thing i mean it always sounds good right it makes you more reputable you know no absolutely. matter what i would i would think absolutely yeah it, it d- definitely adds to to getting visibility and then getting a, a brand validation from a third party. So you, you mentioned earlier that you you guys have had a lot of success talking with, you said Gartner, right? Like you've had a good relationship with Gartner? Yes. Yeah, we, we started, uh, we, we have been very actively briefing Gartner for quite some time. Uh, and and, and it's, I think it's really important to brief the analyst firms can be Gartner, it can be IDC Forrester. There's so many of them. Oh, yeah. It's always good because um, these folks are are being briefed at a ridiculous amount 
uh, yes. on a daily basis, right? So they, they sort of know what the market is doing, where the trends are, where the investments are, uh, what where the traction is, because they're specifically talking to not only just uh, vendors, they're also talking to customers to understand right. what are they buying and, and not buying and where the problems are. And uh, when you are building a new market category, it's always good to have a conversation with these fellow folks uh, because of a couple of reasons. First, they can validate or devalidate uh, the pain point that you're going after. They can tell you if there's a need, if there's a buying pressure or not. Um, and they can also tell you if uh, that space is real or has a possibility of be- becoming real because they are talking to other vendors who might be in the same space. Now, a lot of companies might be in stealth, so you as a vendor will not have any idea that they are companies working on the same thing. But these analyst firms would. They would know, right? Because all these vendors who are still in stealth will be poaching these uh, analyst firms and pitching them and telling them what they are doing. So it's it's always good to have a conversation early on with these analyst firms. Well, the reason I, I bring it up is it's, it's kind of its own go-to-market strategy as well, right? And so my last company, we we would talk to Gartner and Forrester and, and stuff, but it felt like a complete waste of time and mm-hmm. we never got anything out of it. They didn't, they never like sent us any customers. Like, I don't know, I, I never got anything out of it. And, mm-hmm. but I was also wasn't trying to sell to large enterprise customers like you. Um, and I also didn't necessarily have like a, I wasn't really like a bright, shiny new thing, you know? So if you guys are kind of a bright, shiny new thing that nobody's ever seen before, um, I'm sure they, they take more interest in it, but does, th- that's why I bring it up for those who are listening. They're thinking, ah, I don't know if I want to deal with these analysts or not. And I think it takes the right kind of product, the right kind of company, the right industry, all that stuff where it could be uh, useful. So for, for you guys, do they, do they help send you customers? See, the objective of analyst firms is not for them to send you customers. The objective that we approach these analyst firms with is to tell them about this technology and then see if they are if they are writing articles or research papers uh, aligning aligning to that uh, content and seeing if you can get mentioned as one of the uh, vendors in that right uh, and the reason you want to do that is because they have a very broad outreach of customers and clients and when they are reading these research papers from these analyst firms if your name is mentioned you have a very strong uh, you know, I mean you, you get a foot in the door right yeah now if you and this is about startups, right? But if you are a very mature organization, uh, obviously these firms help a lot because they have. I mean, Gartner has uh, Magic Quadrant, and Forrester has its Wave, right? And they would do these placements, and these placements do make a difference, uh, especially with very large organizations who would only go for the top right Magic Quadrant yeah. and they would look at top three players in it, and then consider them for an RFP or an eval, eval. but. So it just depends on where in your journey as a company you are uh, and uh, what is your objective uh, to engage with them. I mean, if you're a startup and you're expecting these analyst firms are going to get to you customers, I don't think that's going to work. Yeah, but that's a struggle. Organization, yes, it's going to help. I mean, it depends on how you how they place you, how they, how they see you. But if you're placed in the right quadrant, yes, it's definitely going to help with the uh, traction. We're- did you guys make Forrester Wave or any of that stuff? So Forrester Wave, there is uh, Forrester Wave and, and Gartner NQ. They 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 are well established categories. 
So that means the category has to be there for yeah. a couple of years uh, for for it to be existing. And yeah. then the second thing is you have to have multiple players to establish a category, right? right. When you are working on a very disruptive product, uh, it takes quite a bit of time for that category to establish. For example, think right. about Tesla's, right? Tesla was disrupting EV market and the, mar- the category was non-existent for almost 10 years. I mean, the category is now getting established with companies like Rivian and, and Fisker and Lucid uh, and other, some of the companies which have already filed for bankruptcy. Uh, but now the category is getting established in US market as EV right. policy internationally too. There are a lot of players in that space, but that category never existed. And people thought like Tesla cars, like golf cars, and they will just like, they'll look ugly and they will maybe move at 10 miles an hour. <laughs> and uh, then that that's about it. They'll take forever to charge. But I mean, yeah, it just takes time. And that's true with yeah. products, whether in cyber or any other space. Well, so what what is what is next for Strike Ready? You're looking five years in the future, right? Like that that's your job. So uh, what, what does the future hold for cybersecurity? I think the future for cybersecurity is it's going to, like like we have seen, I mean, we only are getting a glimpse of how uh, LLM and other technolo- these advanced technologies can, can be used and will be used uh, to create uh, extremely sophisticated malware and compromise organizations. So it's pretty evident that cybersecurity is not going away. Uh, the war between the attacker and the defender is going to get worse. And the shortage of people will still remain. Obviously, there are a lot of universities which are focused on cyber, but the shortage will still remain because a student coming out of a grad school or an undergrad school doesn't have that experience, the industry experience which is needed. So there will be, there will still be a need for the next five years to augment them with a with an AI-based technology. And uh, we are just doubling down on that at this point. All right. Well, I do want to remind everybody, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers. At FullScale, we specialize in building a long-term team that works only for you. You can learn more at FullScale.io. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, I, I think cybersecurity is super fascinating. Um, it's one of those things, it's almost like HR. It's one of those things that really small companies try to avoid until it like they really need it or it becomes a problem. Um, but you know, once, especially once you have a lot of revenue in your business, you've got a lot of sensitive data, you got to worry about, you know, uh, SOC 2, all this different stuff, security, it it all becomes important and, and people need tools like yours. So, um, eventually we, we all get there and, and need services like yours. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was a pleasure, Matt, uh, speaking with you as well. Uh, thank you so much for covering uh, cybersecurity and having us on the show. Awesome. So um, again, everybody, this was Anurag Gertu with Strike Ready. Um, and your guys' website is just strikeready.co. You guys can check them out. And um, thank you so much for being on the show today. All right. Thank you, Matt. Have a great day. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>